But we're at the end of our Who We Are series. And uh, we've been going the last several weeks, and we actually, uh, uh, those of you who have been here for a while, you, you've heard many of these messages before. But uh, every year, we, at, on our anniversary time, we go through and we, we really want to reiterate who we are as a church. We want to make sure that if you're new here, you know who we are. If, you're, if you've been here for a while, um, just like Peter says, I'm okay with stirring people up by way of reminder. And uh, today is the, the final piece of our culture, and it's about empowering people to serve and make a difference in the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about the, the first part of our mission statement is to evangelize lost. We want to make sure that people know and hear about Jesus. We've actually just went through a four-week course about how we can be better evangelists in our own lives, and it's a kind of a lifestyle evangelism. And the truth is, is that it's everybody's responsibility to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus with the people around them. It's not just the pastor's responsibility or the youth leaders or, or even the big evangelists that come up at the front of the stage, but it's, it's every single one of our responsibility to share share with those around us. And the next part we were talking about that we want to equip, we want to equip every single person that attends here to be able to grow, to learn, to get stronger in their faith and in their knowledge so that they will be able to effectively step out into ministry. And when that time comes as a church, and when I say as a church, I don't just mean me, I mean all of us together, we want to empower people to step out into their ministry, what God would have them to do. Another one thing that we think about when we talk about this is, is we see the big ones, right? The pastors, the evangelists, the, the teachers, and we think, oh, is that what you mean? But that's, that's not it. The truth is, is that God can call you from anything from, from what we would consider on the outside looking in, you know, the, the big positions to what we would consider lowly positions, but the truth is, is that, that uh, God actually says the least of us are actually the greatest, amen? That means that, that those of us who are up here, we're actually the least of us in the kingdom of heaven. But the reality is, is this, this working in the kingdom of heaven ranges from everything from, like I said, being up here preaching or teaching in the children's church or being part of the worship team to running the sound in the back there to, to vacuuming the floors and cleaning the toilets. All of those things are part of serving in the kingdom of heaven. And the truth is, is that some of those that seem to be lower are actually some of the most important. But the reality is, is this, is that the church needs people who are willing to serve. We need people who are skilled musicians. You know, we have Blake up here playing the guitar and we have a drum set that's been been empty for a while because Blake used to play the drum set and then he switched, switched the guitar and and uh, you know, I used to play the piano up here, but thank God I was able to 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 hand uh, the the worship ministry over to to Blake and Monique and I was able to step down and have something off of my plate, but now we don't have the piano anymore. The truth is, is it would be it would be awesome to have uh, a guitarist and a, a, an electric guitarist and a bass player and a drummer and a, and a pianist back up here. It would be nice. To, well, I don't know if we'd have the room for all that, but uh, boy, it'd be awesome. The church needs that. We need people who are, are talented at teaching our children. We need people who are, uh, and maybe not even talented, some people are just willing to go back there and take a beating for a while. <laughs> Hallelujah. But the truth is, is that that's so important. These are the, the, the next pastors, evangelists, teachers, preachers. These are, the next, these are the people that are going to grow up and have the ability to shake and change the world. And we have to train them right. We have to teach them. 
So we need people who can teach. We need people who are graphic artists. We need people who are technical. We need people who are good at marketing. Because that's one of the greatest ways that we have the ability to reach the outside world right now. And the truth is, is that we want to do everything with excellence. We want to look like that we're, 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 we're modern and, and fitting into a, a modern day world. And when I say fitting in, I don't mean looking like the world. But we need to do things in such a way like Paul says, I'll be anything to all people in order to win some. We need to do what we need to do in order to win some. The truth is, we need to be willing to do anything short of sinning to win people to the Lord. Because this is an eternal thing. This is an important thing. And then finally, we need missionaries. And this goes all the way from people going over to, to Africa to dig wells or doctors. or The truth is, is that, uh, did you know that other countries are actually sending missionaries to America now? Because we've sent everyone to win them, but we're, we're becoming a mess over here. So we need to be evangelized too again. But the truth is, is that we, we need people who are willing to serve. And in this church, if you have a call of God on your life, you hear who has a call of God on their life. If you don't have your hand up, go ahead and put it up. Because the truth is, you all have the call of God on your life. God has a plan and purpose for your life. And we want to make sure that you are equipped and empowered to step out into what God wants you to do. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The truth is, is that the church and the body... We're talking about our physical bodies. It's made up of, of multiple different parts that all serve different roles. And how many know that all are important? You want to know that every single person in the world considers that important? Because if you have a part of your body that's not functioning, what do, we cons what, what do the people consider? They're disabled. You know, and, and, and in this country, we have rules and laws that try to do everything we can to make sure that they enjoy the same quality of life. But the truth is, is that if you have a part of your body that's not functioning as it should, your body is not working the way that it should. And every single part of our body is important. And the truth is, the body of Christ is like that as well. We have many different parts and different roles in the body of Christ, and every single one of them are important. Even the ones that don't seem like they're all that, that uh, glorious to be a part of. I found personally that uh, those things are the ones that, that we rely on the most and truthfully almost become jaded to them. We almost become, uh, uh, we don't even think about it. The stuff just happens. You know, every Sunday we come in and, and magically the church is clean. I want you to know there's somebody serving in that role. Somebody's doing that to take care of that and that stuff's important. But if it doesn't happen, everybody would notice. And there are so many roles that we consider, you know, top shelf roles. You know, then that's, and that's usually the people that, are, that get to come up and be up front in some way because everyone gets to see 
what you're doing and see what you're a part of. So we, we somehow think of these, these roles as higher than another one, but the truth is that they're not. Because every role is important and every role is, is needed. And the truth is, is that, that just like your physical body, the body of Christ, everything works together in a symbiotic fashion to make sure that what God wants us to accomplish is getting accomplished. And the truth is, is that we need one another. We actually can't live without one another. Things start falling apart. I know that from experience. When right before the pandemic, things were going great. People were stepping up. We had volunteers everywhere. The church was filling up. Things were going good. People weren't having to do the same jobs. We didn't have to have the same person teaching every Sunday and then never get to come out and be a part of the service. We didn't have to have the same people doing everything. And then the pandemic hit. Everybody went home and, and we did what we had to do. We, we made do, but when we came back, all of a sudden things changed. One, everybody didn't come back at once. And even now, we're, we're missing a lot of people that we used to have coming as part of the church. And all those things that they used to do aren't getting done anymore. And that's the reason why you see my wife doing everything all the time. Because we've missed out on those people that used to be serving with us. Because things have changed. So when they're not there, we feel it. And I know... You guys don't feel it as much because unless you've noticed that Michelle is doing everything all the time, you know, we do our best to make sure it doesn't impact. But the truth is, is that we need people to serve in the body of Christ. And the truth is, is that's part of our calling is to serve. Oftentimes, if you understand that your, your true calling is just to be a servant, that means that, that you need to, to operate in many different positions as things are needed. And sometimes our calling changes as we grow. Sometimes God will put you in a certain position for a season and He's got something else for you. And sometimes somebody else is doing the work that we should be doing instead. In Acts 6, 1-4, says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You know, the disciples said, they said, look, it's not good for us to serve tables when we should be preaching. Was it because they thought they were too good to be serving tables? No. Seems like the way this is worded, that's actually what they were doing in the meantime. But like, this isn't good because we're neglecting our other duty. They were doing something that somebody else should have been doing. So they were actually neglecting what God had called them to do. And it's not because they were more important or they couldn't serve tables. It's because God had given them a job and they needed to do it. And every single one of us has been giving a, a job. And one of the things I believe more than anything is the job, first and foremost, your ultimate calling is just to serve where you're needed. And that means sometimes doing stuff that you don't like or you're not good at. But the reality is, is that there are different things that have to be done. And we all need to be able to step up where that happen, needs to happen. We all can't be, how many know we all can't be the same thing? You can't have a church full of pastors. All of our egos would probably get in the way. <laughs> you can't have a church full of just singers. Because who would preach? Who would take care of the kids? I mean, can you imagine a human body that looked like that? If you looked at a body that was just noses, 
or just eyes. I mean, bodies that are just full of eyes, that's the stuff horror movies are made of. <laughs> what about just legs? Not a single one of you have stumbled across one of them big red centipedes and went like, that's nice. <laughs> thing is, is that's probably the, if anybody wanted to make a horror movie, you make it about a centipede, that's probably the best thing you could make about it. It would be terrifying to have a centipede as big as a building coming through. But we recognize that, that that wouldn't be right. If we had a person that was all legs, we'd have some issues. We would recognize that something was wrong. And the same goes for the body of Christ. We need to have people serving in all the different areas. Like I said, if everyone would only be a singer, who would preach, who would teach, who would evangelize, who would make sure that the chairs were straightened out every day? Who would vacuum? Who would act as usher and greeters? Who would clean the church? Who would be doing the website? Who would be doing the graphic design work we need for social media? Who would be doing the accounting? Who would be doing the administration? The truth is, is there's a lot of things that have to happen in the body of Christ. Joseph was speaking this morning about giving. You know, one of the things that I think is that giving money is about the easiest thing that you can give. Because you can always get more money. But giving your time volunteering and serving that's a much greater sacrifice and the reality is is that even though that we're all individually different members we form one body with a common purpose and a common goal and i want you to know that each and every person in here and everyone that's listening and even people that aren't in here and aren't listening they all have a role to play they all have a purpose god has a plan and purpose for their life and as a church our goal is to equip you and empower you to fulfill that role. Amen? Because here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving a greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The truth is, is that we're all the body of Christ and we have one, one body, the body of Christ. We're all individually members of it and we all play an important role. And even the parts that seem like uh, aren't presentable, like he said, they're not presentable. They're the parts that nobody wants to do. How many know there are things in the church that nobody wants to do? But somebody's got to do them. Now, I remember my first job that I ever had. You guys ever uh, heard of JB's Restaurant? I, my first job was in service at a JB's Restaurant. I made it in and I was a dishwasher. That's where I had to start, but I mean, that's not where I wanted to be. <laughs> but one of the things I quickly realized as I worked in the restaurant as, as a dishwasher is that the dishwasher is actually a pretty important part of the restaurant. How many of you guys have ever been to a restaurant and you, they bring out your, your, little dinner, your, your uh, appetizer plates and you have to send like half of them back because they got gross stuff all over them or your silverware is dirty? When the dishwasher is not doing his job... It impacts the entire restaurant. When I used to work at Applebee's, 
I was a cook there. I had moved up in the world. And uh, when we ran out of plates, it caused an issue. If the, if the dishwasher wasn't keeping up doing his job, we ran out of plates, it impacted the entire restaurant. And it turns out that the position in the restaurant that was the most lowly, that, that nobody wanted to do, matter of fact, it's the only job I could get into when I first started because it's the only one that requires no experience. It just requires somebody willing to go in there and get gross. That's basically the only requirement. Man, I hated working in a restaurant because you always just smell like restaurant. And all restaurants have the same smell, especially in the dish pit. It's just... But somebody has to be willing to get in there and do it because it needs to be done because if the dishwasher were to walk out and nobody else would go in there and wash dishes, it would shut the restaurant down. Completely shut it down. What was considered the lowest position, didn't require any experience, didn't need anything, was actually one of the most important positions in the restaurant. We see other times in history, we see what people consider not that important or not that lovely can have an impact on an entire city. In March of 1981, President Reagan was shot by John Hinckley Jr. and was hospitalized for several weeks. And although Reagan was the nation's chief executive, his hospitalization had little impact on the nation's activity. The most powerful man in the world gets shot, put in the hospital, and the country goes on. On the other hand, suppose the garbage collectors in this country went on strike, as they did not long ago in Philadelphia. The city was not only in a literal mess, but the pile of decaying trash became a health hazard. A three-week nationwide strike would paralyze this country. So then you have to ask yourself, who's more important, the president or the garbage collectors? The truth is, is that sometimes the lowliest people even though we don't put much honor on them, we don't give them much, they're the most important people. Every part of the body relies on one another, and every part is important. And the truth is, every part is crucial. I mean, can you imagine if I just said, you know what, we don't need the children's workers anymore. Can you imagine what it would be like out here if all the little kids were running around? It, it would change everything. They're important. We need them back there. And truthfully, even more than that, just even more than for our convenience of not having them out here being distracting, they're raising them up to be the next generation of world changers. What if I said we don't need a worship team anymore? Worship would be awkward. And I can't even get some of you guys to get into it and clap and sing when we've got the music loud, everything's going. Can you imagine we had nothing? I was just staring at you, waiting to clap. Do something. You definitely wouldn't want to see what happened if I determined we didn't need cleaning anymore. The truth is, is that if you're asked to serve in an area that maybe you think is not for you or, or you don't think you would like it as much or, or maybe it doesn't have the, the glory, for lack of a better term, don't think that what you're doing is not important or that that job isn't important because even Paul said we bestow honor on those things that we think are less honorable. Actually, those things that we bestow, uh, that we consider less honorable, we should bestow the most honor on. You know, they're not, they're not here today, actually. Uh, and, and, and Michelle and I have got to feel it a little bit, but uh, the people that normally clean our church, which is uh, Bob and Marty and then also uh, Norma, 
Uh, there, Bob and Marty are out of town, and Norma has been uh, dealing with her son, who's not been doing, uh, he's actually doing better now, but she's been helping take care of him. Um, we've had no one there, so me and Michelle have had to pick up the slack, which we're doing the best we can. Maybe that's why it doesn't look as clean as it normally would. But uh, uh, we've definitely felt that when they're not here, but the truth is, is that, that uh, I find them amazing. And I try to remember to thank people for serving because sometimes it's easy to forget, particularly something like that. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to call them to make sure it's done. I don't have to call them to remind them that it's done. Truthfully, in some ways, I come in and it's just done. It's, it's, you know, it's just like magic. But it's not magic. It's people that are willing to serve and do the stuff that nobody else wants to do. And I'm so thankful and grateful for them. But sometimes people will get this idea that, wait a minute, I understand that if God wants me to do something, that I should do it. But God didn't ask me to clean the toilets, you did. How many of you know that God's going to speak to the people and the leaders that are around you? And sometimes we need people to do stuff that's not all that lovely. Truthfully, we need people to do stuff all the time. And they say in a church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And, and it's not quite that big of a disparity in this church, but it is in many churches across the country. And I'm thankful for so many people that do serve. But the truth is, is that we don't have every position, if you will, filled. And people are doing double duty. But the one thing that we have to remember that as a body, when one succeeds, we all succeed. If one fails, we all fail. You know, the truth is, is that when we don't have people serving where they should, then, then it, it impacts not just the person uh, that has to take over, but it impacts the entire body, the entire service. It wears people out. It burns people out. That's probably the greatest danger of having somebody do everything is that they can get burnt out. You know, the truth is, is that we've had people in this church that have been serving from day one since we opened this church in my house. What was it, eight years ago, seven years ago? I don't know. It was a long time ago. But we started in my house with almost nobody, and the first people that came, they started serving with us, and they've been doing it since, and, and they still do most of the work. But the truth is, is that uh, we're a body, and we should be looking out for one another, making sure that nobody's getting in that situation. And the truth is, is that when one succeeds, we all succeed, and when one fails, we all fail. And I think because of that, we should be able to work with whatever God has called us to do, knowing that regardless of the position, that if we're obedient and work with a servant's heart, we're going to be successful alongside the body. How many know that our goal, our ultimate goal is to see people one to the Lord, to, to, to see people saved? And all these little things that we do, they work together for that purpose. And when we see people get saved, when we see the church grow, we see people come to Christ, then we can all rejoice together, Amen. And then 2 Timothy 4, 5, it says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. As we begin to serve in the church, we have to, this is almost like a, a, a very short uh, uh, roadmap to serving in the church. First he says, always be sober-minded. What does it mean to be sober-minded? I think sometimes... We overthink stuff, but if we just think about what the word means, what does it mean to be sober? Well, what does it mean to not be sober? 
It means to not have your wits about you. It means not to be focused. It means not to be able to think clearly or think straight, to be under the influence of something. So Paul says you need to be sober-minded. That means we need to not be under the influence of this world. We need to be thinking clearly. We need to be focused on the kingdom of heaven. We need to take it seriously. So the first step to serving is we need to be sober-minded. How often? Always. We have to be careful. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive because sometimes stuff tries to sneak in. Take it captive. So first we need to be sober-minded. And then everybody's favorite part, we have to endure suffering. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes the job that you're doing is tough. Sometimes the people that you're working with are tough. But the truth is, is that we have to endure, even though it's not easy. Even though when God has asked you to do something or God through, through the leadership has asked you to do something that you don't feel like you want to do or you should be doing or it's not your calling, the truth is that sometimes we have to endure and press through. Sometimes we have to do it even when everything around us seems to be not going the right way. Sometimes it seems like it would just be easier to give up and walk away. But instead, we should endure. And the truth is, is God will always get you through it. The next thing is one of the things that I always try to keep in mind because I am not an evangelist. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not good at it. It's not something I'm naturally gifted in. I, I, I feel like God has gifted me in the area of teaching, but I'm not a, uh, uh, if you guys knew me before being a pastor, I'm actually very much an introvert, and I'm perfectly fine not being around anybody. But God has been working on my heart in that area, and this is one that always comes to mind because I don't think Timothy was either. Otherwise, why would, why would Paul tell Timothy to do the work of an evangelist? Paul was, uh, Timothy was, was a pastor, but he still had to do the work of an evangelist. No matter what you're called to do, no matter what you're gifted at, no matter what you're talented at, you are still called to do the work of an evangelist, every single one of us. So we need to be sober-minded, we need to endure as necessary, and then we need to work as an evangelist. And then finally, he was charged with fulfilling his ministry. Paul had gone through the steps with Timothy that we have tasked ourselves to go through. And with everyone who is part of the local body, Paul had Paul been working with him, been teaching him, he had been equipping him. And then and now here we see Paul empowering Timothy to step out into his ministry. He says, look, you're ready. These are the things you're going to need to do. You need to be sober-minded, endure suffering. You're going to have to do the work of an evangelist, even though that's not what your, your calling is. Even though you're a pastor, you're still going to have to do that. And that goes for every one of us in this room. And then Paul was beginning to empower him to step out and fulfill his ministry. And the truth is, is that when you're getting ready to step out and fulfill your ministry, it's going to take work. It's going to take focus. It might even hurt a little bit. And it also means sometimes doing things that you don't feel like you're called to do. I know me personally, uh, and my, most of my church life, I've been on the worship team. But I'm not called to be a worship leader. But as many of you know, I led worship in this church for, for six or seven years because there was nobody else to do it. 
And then over the years, as uh, Monique and, and Blake uh, grew up, if you guys remember Blake when he was just little playing the drums, and he's growing up, he's going to be 18 here in, in February. I can't believe that. But they've both been, been, been serving under me on the worship team, training and growing, and now I took a step back, and I'm trying to empower them to step out into their ministry. It doesn't mean the growing's done, the teaching's done. The truth is, is that we're always growing and learning. We should always have somebody that we're underneath so they can help guide us and direct us. But the truth is, is that, that my goal is to empower people to step out in what God has for their life. John and Monique have been serving in our youth, uh, youth ministry since pretty much day one. Because day one, it was just my kids and their kids. That's all there was in the youth. But they've been serving since, and, and, and they've been growing, and, and they might have got pushed into that one even sooner than they were ready. But they, they pressed on, they endured some suffering, and they worked through it, and, and, and they're fulfilling what God has called them to do. And that's our, that is our, our call is to step out and fulfill our ministry. The reality is, is that we're going to be behind those who we've equipped, and we're going to empower them to step out. But the truth is, whoever it is, they're the, they have to step out of the boat. You know, Jesus was there for Peter, and he called to him and said, come on, come to me. But Peter had to step out of the boat. He had to make that step of faith. Something else we need to understand as we're serving is, is what's talked about in Luke 16, 12. If you have not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? The truth is, one of the first steps into stepping out into your own ministry is serving faithfully in somebody else's. You've got to plow somebody else's field for a while before God will give you your own. When I first learned of the, the call God had on my life, I didn't immediately step out and open a church. The truth be told, there was a year or so of fighting with God and arguing, trying to get him to pick a different calling because I didn't want to be a pastor. And then once I finally said, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm just going to do it, I felt this amazing sense of peace. I was finally not pushing against God. I was just going to do whatever he said. And I told Michelle, and she's like, nope. And she spent another year or so fighting with God about it, and finally she gave in. I would encourage you when God wants you to do something, it's much better to just give in <laughs> and do what God wants you to do. But once that happened, it turns out that I served under my pastor for several years before I was released out into my ministry. I, I served in his field, being equipped and ready to go. And then finally, after being faithful in his ministry for years, I was released into my own. And I was empowered to fulfill my own. And the that's, I'm not a unique case. That's how it works. We have to be faithful in which that is another's before we're giving that which is our own. If you feel that God has a call in your life, then serve where you can. That's how you get equipped. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. And there's a couple things that you need to understand. One, you're not ready yet. You need to grow. Little secret, you won't be ready when you get sent out either. That's something you figure out as you go. But the truth is, you want to get as much as you can now. You want to grow, you want to mature, you want to do all those things that you can now before you go out. So that way you have a greater chance of being successful. And I had a second point, and it was good. And it just, <laughs> I don't know what it was anymore. But it was good. You guys really missed out on that one. I'm sorry. 
Oh, wait, I remember now. When you do step out, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. I remember when I was planting this church, they told me, you know what, it's going to be hard. You're going to open your doors. People aren't going to come. You know, the truth is, is that in my ministry, people have been staying away by the thousands for years. But uh, I had it in my head that, nope, I was going to be different. Matter of fact, when we open our doors for the first time, I was probably going to have to turn some away. We just wouldn't have the room. And then nobody showed up. George and Anna, who George isn't here today, um, but he, uh, he finally showed up. And I was like, oh, good, we got somebody. At least I won't be preaching to empty chairs, which I was willing to do, as awkward as that would have been. And then John and Monique finally showed up. They were a little bit late. They were planning to go to a better church, but they were, they, they were late. They didn't get out in time, so uh, they, they gave up it and gave in to the George's John's dad. So they decided to come, and they showed up late. And that's been a pattern for the end. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, praise God, but they showed up. Both of them said, you know what, we're just coming once. We're never coming back. And for some reason, they're still here. But uh, the reality is, 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 is I thought that they were, I really, and I don't know what it is. I think all pastors think this to some extent. I've talked to other people who have planted, and we all have it in our head that, that our church is going to be different. Turns out we weren't. So then uh, I'm like, all right, well, we just got to get through this. As soon as we get a building, it's going to be different. People are going to know where we're at. And nope, wasn't any different. And, uh, but over time, as we've been faithful, God has been faithful. And it's not been easy. Sometimes it's hard. And the truth is, is that if you want to grow, if you want to succeed, if you want to do better, you're just going to have to serve where there's some serving that's needed. In Matthew 25, 20 through 29, it says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no, no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew what I reap. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has been, whoever who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that he has will be taken away. The reality is, is that we're going to be given different things and we're going to be asked to serve. And the question is, what are you going to do with what has been given to you? You can hide, you can run away. But the reality is, is that if you want to grow, if you want to see fruit from your life and your ministry, you're going to have to work with what you've been given. Work hard and work smart and do the right things. And the truth is, when you do, just like the first, he was given five and he doubled it. There was fruit in his ministry. There was fruit in his life. 
And God said, well done, good and faithful servant. And the one who had been given two, he had been given less. And you might think, man, how come he was given less? How come he didn't get as much as the big one? You know, pastors, we've got to be careful about that. Why is it that my church is, is still a relatively small church? The truth is, while, while I still think of us as a small church, but I think like something like 90% of all churches in the United States are 50 people and under. So we're, it's not like we're in bad company. But it's easy to think, like, why is mine so small? But the, the church around the corner, they have 300 people. Or, or the, church, you know, the big mega church, they have thousands. What is the deal with that? But I can't be concerned with what somebody else has. I can only be concerned with what I have. And then I'm doing with what God called me to do with it. So the guy with the two talents, he, he does what he's, he's supposed to be doing. He produces fruit, and he, he brings back two more talents. And what does God say? Man, I can't believe you only brought me two back. The other guy brought me five. What's wrong with you? That's not what God said. Or the, the master in this case, which is a representative of God, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It wasn't about how much he returned. It wasn't about the volume. It was about the fact that he, he stepped out into his ministry and he produced fruit like God had called him to do. He stepped out into, with that money and he produced fruit. And the same is for us. If we'll step out and work with what we have, then we'll get some in return. And then you notice the guy who had won, he went and buried it, didn't get even interest or anything. The first thing we notice is he misunderstood who the master was. He, he misunderstood who God was, because this is a metaphor for God, right? And he goes ahead and he misunderstands who God is. He doesn't do anything with it, just gives him what he gave him back. And, and, and God chastises him. The master chastises him because he didn't get anything back. He didn't, he didn't work with what God had given him. And then something interesting happens. What was his was taken away and given to somebody else. If you want to grow, if you want to have your ministry flourish, you need to get out there and work. You need to do like he told Timothy over here, right? Be sober-minded, endure some suffering, make sure you're doing the work of an evangelist, and then fulfill your ministry. When you'll do those things, then you're going to see a return in your life. And if you'll step out there and keep pushing and keep doing, you might end up having to do what somebody else was supposed to be doing. The truth is, for me, I never want to have it ever be said that somebody else had to do what God called me to do. The reality is, is that if you'll step out, though, then you're going to see a return. 2 Timothy 2, 1-5 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. One of the ways that you can increase your ministry to see that fruit, to see that multiplication, is, is we need to train other people to do the same thing. We need to multiply the things that we do. That's part of empowering you know, as a church, we want to empower people, but as individuals, we should be empowering people as well, and that comes through multiplication. You know, Paul told Timothy to fulfill his ministry, but he also instructed him, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. The kingdom of heaven has always been about multiplication. And we should be reproducing in others what we have. If you're good at something, you should be teaching somebody else, reproducing that in them. This is actually what discipleship looks like, is reproducing into others. 
And Paul gave similar instructions to Titus too. In Titus 1.5, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul reproduced into Titus and Timothy, and Timothy and Titus were to reproduce into others who were then supposed to reproduce into others, and you have exponential growth. Titus and Timothy were two New Testament pastors. They were his spiritual children, and he reproduced into them with the expectation that they would reproduce others. And like I said, serving in the church may not be easy. We're to endure hardship. And, you know, one of the things that, that uh, <laughs> at least in my head, and I don't know if you guys think this too, but I was thinking that, man, it seems like a pretty sweet job to be the pastor. I mean, Timothy, I mean, that's a pretty good job being a pastor. And, and from the outside looking in, I mean, I thought the hardest thing that I was going to have to do was come up with new messages every Sunday. A matter of fact, I was so concerned about that, I remember going to my pastor going, I don't have any idea how I'm supposed to come up with a new message every Sunday. I don't know how that even works. And I was scared, like, what if I can't? And he's like, that's the least of your problems as a pastor. That'll be the easy part. Truth is, his ministry is hard. It really is. But we're to endure it. You want to know why ministry is hard? Because of you guys. I don't mean you specifically, I mean people in general. Like the truth is, is that I don't know if you know this, but all of us haven't reached the measure and stature that is of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can be hard headed and ornery and stubborn and we get offended easy and we hurt one another. And we don't do the things that the Bible clearly says to do. <laughs> and because of that, ministry can be hard. And there's stuff on top of that as well. Remember what we just talked about when the, the, the body rejoices, it rejoices together. But when the body suffers, it suffers together. You know, bearing one another's burdens and walking alongside people that are hurting and feeling, that's hard too. Ministry is hard. But we're to endure it. And the truth is, is that your rewards, your spiritual rewards are great and they're worth it. And then he goes here, he's, he's pointing out, here's the deal. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The thing is, is that we're all soldiers in the body of Christ. And a soldier is only worried about obeying and serving his commander. He's not concerned with worldly things, but he has a one-track mind, and he's focused on doing his duty. You know, I was in the Army for, for several years, and, and that's a requirement, is being focused on serving your duty. As a matter of fact, if you're not, there's pretty severe consequences. But that's what the soldier is there for. He's to do the bidding of his commander, the one who's in charge, and he's to do it without question, without wavering. And Paul begins to compare the, the body of Christ like being a soldier. He says, but it's not only that. If you need another, another example, what about, uh, what about athletes? An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And athletes are in the same way. They're focused and they're training to do things the way that they're supposed to be doing. I mean, if you're out there racing the 100-meter dash, you train and you focus to do it according to the way it's supposed to be done. Because if you try to veer to the left or veer to the right or, or you're waiting for the gun, like ready, sit, you take off. You don't wait for go. Just because you cross the line first doesn't mean you win, amen? Because we need to focus on the things that have been set before us and like a soldier be obedient to the one 
who has charged us. And the truth is, church, we should all have that same focus on doing what God has called us to do. And in this church, I want our culture, our culture is to be able to empower you to step out on what God has called you to do. We will support you in that area. One of the things that uh, we will do, though, while we will support you, one of the things that I always ask, though, is that you walk with us. You know, we talked about working in another man's field. The truth is, is that to support one another, we have to have a relationship. We have to know one another. You know, one of the things that I've always said, uh, talking about any ministry, the thing that's most important to me is not your talent, is not your skill, it's not your ability. It's your faithfulness. Having somebody show up every single Sunday or every single Wednesday or every single day that they're needed with mediocre ability is infinitely more valuable than someone who's gifted, a savant in that area that never shows up. Amen? So I'm here to say that I will walk with you and I will empower you to step out in your ministry as long as you're walking with us. Amen? Because that's the important thing that we can be faithful to one another. And then finally, we see that Jesus sets the example for us. In Matthew 10.1, it says, He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. We see here the, the perfect example that Jesus is set, setting for us. You remember in the beginning... Jesus evangelized to his disciples, right? He went out and found them, and he called them and said, hey, come with me. That was the first step. He evangelized to them. And then what happened next is he equipped them because they said yes, and they began walking alongside him. They began learning from him. They began growing, and they were being equipped. Notice that in order for them to be equipped, just like I said a second ago, it required them to walk alongside of them. In order to be equipped, they actually had to be there. And then next, he empowered them to go out on their own. It says here that he gave them authority. This is the same authority that had been given to him. He now gives to his disciples. The same authority that we operate in today, he gave them that authority to go out and fulfill their ministry. And we've been given that same authority in our lives to go out and fulfill ours as well. We follow in Jesus' example and the truth is, is that there's those in this room right now that will be preachers and teachers and evangelists. There are those who, who have a calling on your life that you may not even realize yet, but God, the truth is, every single one of you, God has a plan and purpose for your life. But right now, you're in training. You're being equipped. That way, then, when it's time to go, you'll have every advantage and you'll walk out in every authority to do what God has called you to do. The truth is, is that while people are here serving in this church, you're serving in the field that God has given me, being prepped to have your own field someday. Amen? And then the cycle continues. We evangelize, we equip them, and then we send them out to do the very same thing. And if we will do that, if we will be effective at doing that, if we will be effective at discipleship and equipping and training people and sending them out, then we're going to see the kingdom of heaven grow exponentially. Just like last week when I was telling the story about the, 
how Billy Graham got saved and that long chain that went back. We followed one chain, but if you go back to that first guy, you'll likely see that he touched multiple people, that he touched multiple people. And it wasn't just Billy Graham that came out of it. It was thousands of preachers and teachers and evangelists and servants that came out to serve in the kingdom of heaven. And because of that, the kingdom of heaven grew. And that is our goal. We want to see people saved. We want to equip them. We want them to send them out so that they can do the same thing to see this world one for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.